This is MPB News. Hi, this is Ashley Norwood. Thanks for checking out the At Issue podcast. If you like what you hear, please like, rate, or leave a comment. Subscribe to this and other MPB News productions, like Mississippi Edition, to stay up to date. Don't forget to tell your friends about us, too. You can also watch At Issue on MPB TV, Friday nights at 7.30, or on mpbonline.org. Thanks for listening. Hello and thank you for joining us. I'm Wilson Stribling. Welcome to another edition of At Issue, where we discuss and debate the issues facing the state of Mississippi and how these issues impact you. Lawmakers in Mississippi have ended the 2021 legislative session. They adjourned yesterday, days after approving the state's $6 billion budget and passing dozens of bills. The budget dictates spending for the fiscal year that begins July 1st. Senate Education Chairman Dennis DeBar of Leakesville says the budget includes increased spending for education. It was a very good year for education, uh, $102 million or a 4% uh, increase over uh, last year. The majority of that was, or half of that, was the teacher pay raise, you know, teacher pay raise, $1,000, teacher assistance as well. Um, we've also plussed up early learning collaboratives, another $8.2 million to bring it to $16 million. Uh, increased uh, teacher supply fund, uh, classroom supply fund, another $8 million. It'll increase each teacher's uh, amount of roughly $270, up to $675 in total. Uh, put $5 million into math coaches. You know, we have critical teacher shortage areas, and, and math is one of those subject areas that uh, our state is lacking in, and so we're putting money in to help districts uh, improve their math scores. Um, we're putting money into CTE. We have a new grant program of about a million dollars. Uh, we plussed up. Um, you know, all the schools to help them um, fill some gaps. Um, we've got um, $25 million in lottery money, which we use widely to fill in those gaps. Um, we're treating it as one-time revenue just because the lottery may fluctuate every year. We're not certain we'll reach this amount next year. Uh, so we held back about $10 million just to make sure we're covered for next year. Um, we've done a lot of good things. Uh, besides that, just besides the budget, you know, the, the teacher reciprocity bill was big and that's going to help teachers come to our state. And so we're trying to help reduce our critical teacher shortage in our state uh, and improve um, teachers, uh, make it more motivational to stay in the system, to come here and, and be here. And we're help uh, raise the bar for educational standards across the board. DeBar says they were also able to tighten the funding gap for the Mississippi Adequate Education Program. Governor Tate Reeves signed the bill authorizing a $1,000 pay raise for most teachers and $1,100 pay increase for new teachers. Some state employees are also expected to receive a 3% salary increase in January 2022. Senate Appropriations Chair Briggs Hopson of Vicksburg explains. It's based on a uh, system that's being set up through the personnel board. Um, and the, the idea is there will be a 3% across the board pay raise, but it will be based on market rate for that particular job. So if someone is at the market rate already, they may not get a pay raise, but for those that are under the market rate, they would get up to a 3% pay raise. 
you know, we want to be competitive in Mississippi, and, and I think part of being competitive is making sure our pay is is uh, going to be fair and competitive with our neighboring states to keep our best employees here. Uh, you know, one of the things we've always talked about is we have a great retirement system in Mississippi, uh, and, and pay maybe lagged a little bit behind, but we're trying to move up on the pay scale to keep our brightest and best people here in Mississippi. Hobson says most public university and community college staff would receive at least a 1% raise under this plan. An individual employee could receive up to a 5% raise or no raise at all. Effective July 1st, Hobson says they will leave that up to the heads of each institution to decide who gets what. For three months at the Capitol, legislators argued over some big issues that ended up going nowhere in the final days. In late February... House Speaker Philip Gunn and a dozen other Republican lawmakers introduced the Mississippi Tax Freedom Act. Gunn said the plan would eliminate the state's income tax over a period of at least 10 years. The Senate rejected the plan. It died in conference. Speaker Gunn says he's disappointed the measure did not pass this session, but it won't be the last time Mississippians hear about it. That is something we feel very strongly about here in the House of Representatives. For me, it is the number one issue. I've said it repeatedly and I'll say it again. I don't know of any policy item we as a legislature could ever do that will benefit the people more or result in greater economic prosperity in our state than the elimination of the income tax. That is an effort that we're going to continue to work on throughout the summer. We're going to be more vigilant to try to make sure that we can get, get support on the Senate end for this. The plan that we brought forward received substantial support in the House, bipartisan support had almost 90 votes for that bill. It's been out there for about a month and a half, and uh, there have been a lot of attempts to try to throw rocks at it, and uh, the only objections that we find are not policy-related. They're either political in nature or they come from those who have a self-serving interest. So uh, I think the policy that we passed is a solid one. We will uh, continue to try to address whatever concerns arise out of that or answer those questions, but that will be the number one issue. I don't know that, that there's anything moving forward that's more impactful than that. So uh, we were disappointed that, that plan did not pass again. Don't know that we received any policy reason as to why it was bad. We're going to continue to try to address those concerns, and that will be the number one issue for us moving forward next year. Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman says the House killed one of his top priorities dealing with economic development. The MFLEX plan would have overhauled the state's economic development incentives used to lure businesses to the state or help them expand. Hoseman says he was disappointed the House did not accept it, but he says it will remain a priority in next year's session. Uh, we had a program called MFLEX. Uh, it was passed by the House, I mean passed by the Senate unanimously, died in the House. Uh, MFLEX would have armed our economic developers with the tools they needed to attract businesses and make us more competitive with all of our surrounding southeastern states. Uh, you should assume that that will be job one coming back next year. Uh, we, we anticipate that providing a simplified, easily understood process where an uh, individual company could determine what benefits they would have coming to Mississippi done in an expedited way without having to hire 87 consultants to do it was very important. In actuality, the cost was either the same or less than what we're currently paying now, but the reception from companies that wanted to come to Mississippi 
that looked at the MFLEX program was outstanding. It had unanimous support from every economic developer, MDA and everybody else, every economic developer, and it did not pass out of the House. So we'll come back and try to find out the reasons that that, was, that, that occurred, and we'll address them. The members of the Senate Republican leadership spent a lot of time and energy trying to pass a legislative-controlled medical marijuana program. It would have taken effect only if the Mississippi Supreme Court were to decide to strike down Initiative 65. The House rejected the Senate measure. Here's Representative Nick Bain of Corinth on the House floor. House Bill 119. Ladies and gentlemen of the House, this is the conference report on Harper's uh, Grace Law. Many of you know this was the bill that the Senate... Uh, put medical marijuana in. Uh, they brought me at least three conference reports, and every time it got a little, a little bit less. Uh, with the last one, uh, really just being uh, the 65 language. But uh, we, ha I've had a dozen or more uh, members that have asked me about this bill, that have asked me to uphold uh, the will of the people, and I know the chairman uh, Lamar stood up here and said he would do the same thing. I know the speaker uh, honors that. So in that line, we are not going to do anything regarding medical marijuana. And what this conference report does simply extends the repealer on Grace Harper uh, or Harper Grace's law uh, out until uh, 2024. Uh, that's what the House passed back in uh, early part of the session. and. Uh, essentially what the Senate passed before they put the medical marijuana in it, we're just extending the repealer. A measure to expand postpartum Medicaid coverage to low-income women in Mississippi failed to pass the legislature. In the final days, lawmakers studied and made changes to the Medicaid technical bill, which determines how the program is operated. The Senate bill that would have changed postpartum care from two months to 12 months died in conference. Nikitra Burse says she was disheartened. She is a maternal health advocate and operates a public health research and development company. She says Mississippi ranks among the top in the nation for maternal mortality disproportionately among black women. We know what the issue is. There's plenty of data. And I think what's more disheartening for me is that the Mississippi Maternal Mortality Review Committee was a legislative mandate in 2017. The recommendations that came out in 2019 for policies were to expand Medicaid at least to that 12-month postpartum period. So, this whole committee takes the time to review these maternal deaths, and that's, that's heavy work to review these maternal deaths, determine what happened, and then provide uh, recommendations to address this very issue, and it's stripped away. There are other communities that are uh, putting these in place. There are other states that are expanding Medicaid, and the data is there to prove that extending Medicaid to that 12-month postpartum period saves lives. In post-session debriefs with the press yesterday, leaders of both chambers had differing views on the issue of expanding Medicaid in Mississippi, which is still the poorest state in the nation. House Speaker Gunn told reporters he is not open to Medicaid expansion, saying neither the state nor its taxpayers can afford it. Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman never said the words Medicaid expansion, but he indicated that he and other Senate leaders will be looking at the delivery of health care and access issues in Mississippi post-session. 
Lawmakers have sent the governor a bill that could make more inmates eligible for the possibility of parole in a state with one of the highest incarceration rates in the nation. The legislature passed a final version of Senate Bill 2795, also known as the Mississippi Earned Parole Eligibility Act. But supporters of the bill say they do not know whether the governor will sign it. He vetoed a similar but not identical bill last year. Current law says that a person convicted of a nonviolent crime must serve at least 25% of the sentence before becoming eligible for a parole hearing. Under this proposal, for nonviolent crimes committed after June 30th of 1995, an inmate would have to serve 25% or 10 years, whichever is less, before the possibility of a parole hearing. Democrat Juan Barnett of Heidelberg is chair of the Senate Corrections Committee. He tells that issue producer Ashley Norwood the legislation would allow the possibility of parole for people convicted of armed robbery, but people convicted of crimes like murder, human trafficking, drug trafficking, or certain sex crimes would remain ineligible. Armed robbery uh, was one big thing. And I know when people think of armed robbery, they think of somebody with the gun is robbing somebody for a lot, a lot of money or something else like that. but. I mean, but armed robbery could be, you know, you could actually put your hand in your coat pocket and make it appear that you have a gun and you rob somebody for $10 and you got 100 years for that. You know, so that's a very big piece of legislation that, that this bill has in it. And also the look back piece for those individuals who's given those long, long drug sentences back in the early 90s, late 80s, you know. Um, and this goes back and fixes all of those things for the same thing that we're legalizing or we are attempting to legalize right now, which is marijuana. Uh, so we just have to we just have to make, you know, just going forward, make sure that we don't try to keep people in a place for the same thing that we are trying to have as a freedom today. And so, um, but it is, that's where we are. I know this is something you've been working on for some time now. Um, what does this moment feel like to know that the Senate has passed it? It actually feels good to me, uh, knowing that the Senate passed As a matter of fact, we passed this one uh, with more votes than we did before. And so that lets me know that there's more and more people out there that, that, that share the same feelings I do. You know, is that when we are fourth, third or fourth in the nation in incarceration, and the United States is like the second in the world in incarceration. That says a lot about Mississippi. Uh, I think this piece of legislation gives us an opportunity to not be last. And so I just hope that, that all of the other ones would, you know, would look at it like that. You know, at some point, when do we get tired of being last? When do we get tired of being talked about as that red state, as that red state? I would rather hear people talk about Mississippi versus refer to us as that red state. Mississippi's vaccine rollout continues. At least 1.2 million doses have been administered in the state, with nearly 790,000 people in Mississippi getting at least one shot so far. More than 500,000 have been fully vaccinated against the coronavirus in Mississippi. Today, the Mississippi Department of Health is reporting 284 new COVID-19 positive test results and three related deaths. That brings the totals in Mississippi to more than 305,000 cases and more than 7,000 deaths since March of 2020. So let's get straight to the point now with views from both sides of the aisle. Brandon Jones is an attorney and former Democratic member of the House. 
Austin Barber is a national Republican strategist and founder of the Clearwater Group. Good to have you both with us, as always, on at issue. So the session is over. It ended this week. Brandon, your, your biggest takeaway, your surprise, disappointment, uh, what say you? Well, we saw a moment ago, big ideas that we've talked about over the course of the last several weeks on the show, alternative medi- medical marijuana program, a tax cut, these big issues that were kind of reverberating throughout the session, most of them just kind of uh, flamed out at the end. So that's a big takeaway. But I think as you survey what's happening in other states where they're passing overwhelming voter suppression bills, where they're passing these bills that prevent people from protesting, these kind of reactionary conservative bills, I'm glad that Mississippi didn't jump into that. We, we stuck our foot in the water, but ultimately no bills passed, and I think that's a good thing. Austin, biggest takeaways? Yeah, I think that the economy seems to be on the right foot as we're coming out of the, you know, the, the days of COVID where we were all locked down, our small businesses were struggling so much, and I, I think there's some signs for that. They had $102 million more million for education this year than last year. They were able to give a $1,000 uh, uh, pay raise uh, to every single teacher. And then, of course, the good news is, and this hadn't happened in a long time, they were to give a, a 3% cross-the-board pay raise uh, to state employees. And I, and I also heard them um, during, during floor debate, I think there was a, they, they had some extra money to help state employees with uh, additional insurance, health insurance costs. So those are good things. It's, it's a positive that the economy seems to be going uh, in the right direction, and they're using those extra dollars uh, to do things that matter. Because this is an unusual year coming up, uh, fiscal year coming up, because we have so much federal money that's coming into the budget this time that they had to account for, that they got to account for. Oh, yeah, a tremendous amount of federal money that's coming in. And I think that impacted the bond bill at the end. Uh, Legislators, I think they were smart when they did this. Um, Both Trey Lamar and Josh Harkins, the the chairman of Ways and Means and Finance in the Senate, um, they looked at the projects, the infrastructure projects that they wanted to fund and made sure, let's make sure we're not wasting our dollars on for projects that could be funded, Brandon, with federal dollars that are coming in. And I think that was a, a really smart last kind of minute look that, that, they, uh, that they studied and they did to make sure that our state bond money went to the right place. Yeah, look, I, I hope that during this offseason, Governor Reeves, Lieutenant Governor Hoseman, Speaker Gunn, all write a nice thank you letter to President Joe Biden for proposing this legislation and to Congressman Benny Thompson, the only Mississippian who voted in favor of this money coming to the state. The other senators and congressional members voted against this appropriation. But you're right, Austin, we're trying to put it to some good use. We mentioned a moment ago that the that the speaker and the lieutenant governor both had projects that they put a lot of energy behind that didn't ultimately go anywhere in this session. Who held the power uh, this year? Was it the governor? Was it the lieutenant governor? Was it the speaker? Was it a, a draw? Did the did the government work like it's supposed to, where you have all three sides, so to speak, uh, arguing their case, and then and then we they, we arrive somewhere in the middle? Oh, I, I think the answer is nobody ever really holds all the power in state government. I mean, you know, you, it's very equally divided at the Capitol, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but in terms of how much power you have from the lieutenant governor. Uh, of course, and, and the Speaker of the House, and then the Governor has the ability with his with the ability to, to veto legislation, and of course advocate for for legislation yeah. as well. Listen, the, the the Speaker wanted to get a tax cut done. It didn't happen, but I'm very proud that he pushed that. He advocated for that. He had he really pushed that debate. That's a good thing. We're going to the Senate passed out a tax study plan that will happen this summer. 
I think Josh Harkins is the chairman of that committee, and they're going to look and study what do we need to do regarding the, the income tax. The lieutenant governor, he, he was you know, very passionate um, about a plan that economic developers could use for tax incentives for new businesses that are looking in Mississippi. He was unsuccessful. He said it passed 52 to nothing in the, in the Senate, but it failed in the House. I'm sure that will be studied this year, and those will probably be the two biggest issues uh, for the next legislative session, of course, along with redistricting. Who holds the power, Brandon? Yeah, chaos. I mean, it, it was it was a time when you sort of look at your government and wonder why more people aren't talking. I will say, though, that I think in both instances, those bills not passing was the right idea. But what was shocking as an observer of the process was that Speaker Gunn would try to provoke this type of conversation and not talk to the lieutenant governor before he does it. That's strange. I don't care what business you're in. We can have our different political reasons for that. Similarly, on uh, Lieutenant Governor Hoseman's side, you come up with an alternative to a program that passed the state of Mississippi by 75 percent, and you don't run that past the governor and the speaker before you do that? Weird stuff. So I, I think that was just bizarre by any standard, and it makes me think it was more about individual politics than it was these ideas. Because if you want the idea to pass... There are things you do to massage the process. That wasn't done in either case. This felt a lot like grandstanding to me, Austin. But again, at the end of the day, I'm glad both of those proposals died, and we'll see what happens. I, I thought it was an interesting a moment ago. Speak, you heard Speaker Gunn say several times, the most important thing we could do is to pass an income tax cut and that there wasn't a policy argument against it. Both of those statements are outrageous. There's a great argument against it. How are you going to pay for it? And that was the question that was reverberating through those halls. And that's why the Senate ultimately said, Speaker, we get it. Less money, good, whatever. Less taxes, good, whatever. But we can't pay our bills. We struggle to pay our bills. Without this federal government injection this year, we wouldn't be talking about all these good things that happened. So you can't cut the amount of money the state is taking in pay for roads and bridges, pay for schools, pay for all those types of things. Yeah, I have to disagree with my friend over there on the other side of the table. I don't think we're struggling to pay our bills right now. Local governments may be struggling to prioritize projects that they want to fund. We have more money coming into the general fund, which our legislators use to fund programs around the state, things like Medicaid and mental health and roads. Um, we had more money. We spent $102 million more million on education this year. I, I, the only way I would agree with you is maybe as you look at the local level, and I think the city of Jackson is a great example of that, where their priority needs to be, how do we get our water and sewer system uh, you know, in the late 20th century, but let's try to get it to the 21st century, up to those standards. And th that's the only place I would agree with you on that, certainly not the state level. And speaking of, Jackson, the state is giving the city $3 million, and then there will also be millions for uh, the greater Jackson area coming from the, uh, from, the, um, from the legislation at the federal level. I won't nerd out, but ARPA is the, uh, Brandon likes that, ARPA is the federal legislation stimulus bill that was most recently passed uh, from Congress and signed by, by President Biden. It's sending $46 million to uh, the city of Jackson. It's sending $44 million to Hines County. state of Mississippi is getting hundreds of millions of dollars. And those, those dollars are supposed to be spent on things that are, quote, COVID-related. But they can be sent, spent uh, on water and sewer projects. Um, in the bond bill that was passed the last few days of the legislature, there was a $3 million check 
$3 million, not check, but uh, allotment for the city of Jackson that can be used, that, that will be used. It's, it's directly earmarked uh, for water and sewer. But there is a way, I'm confident there is a way um, with Republicans and Democrats uh, at the state and local level to work together to do this, but we gotta have some leadership from, from our mayor in Jackson uh, to, to go put a deal together uh, while this window is still open. What, what you see in this package that's coming is the federal government with the wisdom to say that sometimes states play politics with certain regions of their state, and so we're not even gonna worry about that. We're gonna go right to these places, which I think was the right move, and Mississippi has proven that we absolutely play those games. I'll just say this in defense of local leadership here in Jackson. This is an incredible issue that they are facing that is unique among any municipality in the state, and it has to do with their size. It has to do that with decisions that were made years before the current administration was here. And I think we have to put all of our political differences and some of those challenges aside and say, we want a great capital city and yeah. we're gonna do whatever it takes to make it great. Something that we're all waiting to see is if the governor will sign uh, what criminal justice reform was passed. It's similar, but not identical to what he vetoed last year. Uh, Brandon, is it enough and does it matter if he signs it? Well. You heard us talk last week about the importance of this issue. I think Austin and I agree, this is a very important issue. We want the state to get it right. There was an opportunity last year that many of us just really were upset about because we thought that that bill that passed, 21-23, was a great bill. Of course, the governor vetoed it. What we have here is a drastically modified version of that. It doesn't speak to juvenile sentencing. It doesn't speak to many uh, violent crimes, as we call them. And so because of that, we're leaving out two of the largest populations in the Department of Corrections. But what it does do it is it does create a path for some people who do not have a path now. And it is a much more conservative version of anything that we've seen in the realm of parole reform. So are people like me thrilled with it? No, it's not as much as we would have asked for. But I hope the governor will sign it because it's an incremental step. Yeah, Brandon, Brandon knows this, this whole adage, you're never going to get everything that you want. But it's, if it's a step in the right direction, the biggest difference between this year and last year are two-thirds of the Republicans in the Senate were against this bill last year, and there were only 13 no votes in the Senate this year, and a handful of those were Democrats. So Republicans uh, in the state Senate um, were, were out in force in, in support of this issue. So we'll, we'll see what the governor uh, is going to do on this issue. I know he's studying it. I know his staff is looking at it. I know he's listening to folks on, on all sides. Uh, Austin, 30 seconds on uh, a look ahead to next session. What, what will be the biggest issues, most important? Uh, you know, the one that all the political nerds will like will be redistricting. And every member in the, in the legislature will yeah. care about that because it impacts, you know, the lines of their district. But certainly it's going to be about taxes, and um, that, that, that'll be the biggest issue. And then economic development incentive program that the lieutenant governor wants. Yeah, going to hit back on this parole reform. Probably people don't want to hear this, but, you know, I hope that we don't look at this measure, whether the governor signs it or not, as a dream achieved. I hope that we recognize there's still room to improve. So I hope, Wilson, that's in the conversation. All right. Thank you all, as always, for another great season of At Issue. As we cover the legislature, like we always do, we're out of time for this edition. Don't forget, you can watch this program online or listen to the podcast at mpbonline.org or on your favorite streaming platform. For day-to-day -day coverage, follow MPB News on Twitter and Facebook. Thank you for joining us. Have a good night.
Thanks for listening to the At Issue podcast from MPB News. If you haven't already, subscribe to get new episodes weekly. And don't forget to like, rate, and leave a review. You can also stay in touch with MPB News on Twitter and Facebook. For daily news, check out the Mississippi Edition podcast. Thanks for listening.